0: other factors not available the following program is sponsored by the national prayer chapel
1: Today's broadcast is pre recorded. The message today is worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I am unworthy of your kindness and your mercy. But by your blood, you have washed. And you have made us clean. Make us worthy of your gospel. Lord, give to us today the courage to deal with the passages of Scripture that you have assigned to us. Lord, make us worthy by the blood of Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's in chains. It is not comfortable at night sleeping on the floor. Chained to a Roman guard. That's what's happening. But obviously, if he's chained to a Roman guard, he's going to be talking to that Roman guard about the gospel of Jesus. Many conversions resulted because of his being chained. But in the midst of that chaining, let's consider for a few moments what was happening inside of the Apostle Paul. He was the powerful young man of promise. He had achieved what few young men had ever achieved. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the governing party. He sat on the executive branch and the judicial branch. The Sanhedrin was all powerful. He was wealthy. He was filled with zealous anger to protect Judaism Suddenly the bright light of God shines upon him Jesus confronts him his life is totally destroyed He could not go back to his old job the Sanhedrin was no longer going to pay him He could no longer go back to his old friends They would spit in his face. They wanted to kill him. His life was over. He preached in Damascus. He went to Jerusalem. Everyone was afraid of him in the Christian circles. They finally packed him up and sent him off to Tarsus. Get this young man out of town. This young man is packed off to Tarsus. We don't hear anything for quite a few years. But finally, Barnabas, known as the son of encouragement, goes looking for him. Now, how much of the revelation of Jesus did he have at this point? We're not told in Scripture. The timeline is a bit confusing. We know that he spent a number of years in the desert of Arabia where he is being taught by Jesus personally the truth of the gospel. You realize, without the Apostle Paul, we would be Jewish today. We would not have successfully made that break with the Judaism of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant without Romans, without the writings of the Apostle Paul. He's the one that transitioned us. God called him to make that transition for us. That was his assignment from God. So he's now in prison. He was special. He was selected as a great man in Judaism. Then he was selected and a very special man to Jesus Christ and the Christian church. And now he's in chains, has been there for some time. His world has crashed. He doesn't know if he's going to get out of this deal alive or if he's going to be executed by Rome. As far as he knows, his life is finished. He's facing the greatest humiliation a man can face, recognizing His past has been destroyed. His future is totally uncertain and looks like he will not live. How's he to deal with this on a day-to-day basis? Eating prison slop? Deserted by disciples? People are afraid of him. He gets word that people are preaching the gospel to try to get him in trouble, even more trouble. The mental process this man went through is revealed in the Scripture. It's found in Philippians. He begins in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So this man is saying to himself, look, go ahead and kill me. I want to be out of here. I'm done. I'm finished. Have you ever said that to the Lord? Have you ever said to the Lord, look, this is just too hard. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to go through this. Why don't you just take me out of here? I mean, a number of people in Scripture said these kinds of things. Remember Elijah? He said, I've had it, God. I'm done. I'm no better than my ancestors. I can't do what you called me to do. Take me out of here. And God said, okay, I'll take you out. Now here's the list of assignments I have for you to finish before I take you out. He thought he was going to get out quickly. It was 20 years before he got out. The power of God fell on this man in such astonishing power. He did not complete all of his assignments before God took him. Elisha had to finish what he started. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, I don't know what to do. I want to go. I want to be with Jesus. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he has people he loves and he cares about. And he says, I can't leave because I've got these people I've got to take care of. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I want you to see in the midst of the horrific pain, suffering, and humiliation, he comes through finally and he says, all right, I'm going to stay. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to leave. Usually my default position, either in relationships, in a fight, um, when things get tough, I say, hey, I just want out of here. I'm done. I'm done. I want to go. I said as recently as this morning to my wife, Can we just move out of Washington? No. We had to pray it through. No. And by God's grace, she answered without a hesitation. No, Ray. No. God sent us here. We're here. We're going to do God's will here. I just want to encourage you today. I don't care what it looks like doesn't matter. I only care what God's calling you to do for his kingdom. That's the issue. It's not surviving financially. It's not surviving physically. It is not surviving emotionally. It is what has God called me to do for his kingdom. I'm going to show you that as we walk through this. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He's chained, he's suffering physically, he doesn't know in the physical if he will live or die, but his heart's concern is for the brethren to make progress in joy and in faith. who were you concerned about this week other than yourself that so prompted you to call them or speak with them to encourage their heart? Who did you call this week and say, I love you and I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. That's the spirit that Paul is beginning to speak about and that he's speaking from. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's it mean to to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? It means to have my eyes on what Jesus cares about. And that's not on my survival. What Jesus cares about is his church. Have your eyes been focused on his church this week? If your eyes have not been focused on the church this week, your eyes are not focused on what Jesus has called you to. If you did not make phone calls this week of encouragement to others, if you did not reach out in any manner this week to encourage someone in this walk of faith in Jesus, you're not walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because his interest is his church. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Can that be said about you today? Are you contending for the faith with the church? Or are you off on your own, struggling to survive, wondering how you're going to pay your bills, wondering how you're going to health-wise, do what you need to do, whether you're going to have the resources, whether you're going to have the friendships. Is it all about you? I mean, the question I asked at the beginning today was straight from the Holy Spirit. What was the best part of your week? The answer needs to be, the best part of my week is Jesus And the church. Because that's where it is at. In Jesus, that's where it's at. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved. And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Not to suffer for your own mistakes, not to suffer for your own foolishness, but to suffer for Jesus Christ because you're standing strong in a faith position that you're not going to leave. You are going to walk clean through with Jesus You are a part of his body. You are not a lone ranger. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In other words, things are perhaps very difficult for you on a personal level. But the call of the apostle Paul in Philippians is go beyond your personal struggle and get your eyes on Jesus and get your eyes on the church because it's in the church that he intends to bring all things together under his headship. Now in chapter two, he turns and he begins to speak very gently. And I want to do the same. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, I mean, he's talking now about the most precious things we can share with each other compassion for one another, tenderness for each other, fellowship with one another, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if you have these feelings, if you have the sense in your heart, then make my joy complete by by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers others better than yourselves. Well, what would that look like? Now, I had to repent because. I have very much been caught in, in ministry work on the radio. It's exhausting. It's utterly draining. And I recognize that my focus has been so much on and so much energy is being used by reaching out to the lost with the gospel that I've not loved the church as I should have. I didn't call Mike this week and say, Mike, how are you doing with Jesus? I didn't call him and encourage him this week. And guess what? Mike didn't call me and encourage me this week. Some of you did. Some of you I called. Some of you called me. I didn't call Stephen this week, even though I've been praying for you, Stephen. I haven't given up on you. And I'm delighted to see you here today. That's an answer to prayer. But I didn't go the next step and call you. And you didn't call me because we're accustomed to walking alone in this thing called church and come as consumers and take what we can take and then go back to our world. Guess what, guys? Our world is the church. Our world is Jesus. It's a consumer mentality. It's got to go out of our heads. There's another solution. It's called the Christian faith, the gospel. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, So it's very clear each of us has responsibilities. And we're to carry out those responsibilities. But we've got to go beyond our responsibilities in the church. And we have to look out for the interests of others. I wonder, do you all know what interests Sandy's concerned about? Do you know what interests Ed is concerned about? Or Alma? Or Stephen? Or David? Do we know each other's interests? Do you know what the concerns are that weigh heavy on our hearts? Do we know them so we can at least be praying for one another and speaking words of encouragement to one another? Now, what I'm describing is not the modern American church. It's the church of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Then he says, your attitude, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And this is called by theologians, the cascade of God's love, it's who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus is fully God, but he does not reach out to grasp, to maintain his position And he's saying, your attitude should be the same as the attitude of Jesus. Don't try to reach out to maintain your place. Paul has not reached out to maintain his place in Judaism. He has not reached out to maintain his place in ministry. He's in chains. He's not trying to buy his way out, and he could have bought his way out. He could have sent out a fundraising plea. Look, let's buy these Romans out. Get me out of jail. I'm a great man. I need. No, he didn't do that. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Now, I'm going to talk about that for just a minute. A man can go through exquisite suffering and pain and through all of the suffering and pain maintain that he is a victim of wicked people and maintain his own pride. And Paul is saying, do not maintain your pride. Humble your heart. Do not accuse. Do not retaliate. Do not speak back and bite. And this week, we've experienced some real judgments. And it's been very tempting for me to rise up and bite back. The Lord has said no. But they're wrong, Lord. It doesn't matter. Are you right? No, Jesus is right. So I'm not given a place where I prevent myself from being humbled. Someone once asked me, does that mean I'm supposed to be a doormat? well, that's a great place to start. Where I don't rise up to grasp my position and my reputation, I don't defend myself. I put my defense in Jesus. He goes on. He took the form or the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. You get this cascade. He's God. He doesn't cling to that. He becomes a man. But he's not just a man. He becomes a servant man. Not a king man. He becomes a servant man. And being formed in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. But it wasn't just death. It was death on a cross, which was the most humiliating death a man could die. To be stripped naked, to be hung high and wide with the people scorning you and saying, if you're the Messiah, come on down, prove it to us. Jesus knew that had he called 12 legion of angels would have been instantly on the spot and would have destroyed every person. He did not do that. He did not take that action. Instead, he became obedient to death, death on a cross. This issue of humility is so huge for me because I feel like my whole life has been a journey down of humiliation, of rejection, of failure, of desert life. Until I've come to a place in my life where I'm just saying, Lord, I'm yours. It's okay. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to rise up and try to be somebody. I remember I was a young man. I've told you this story before. I was a young man at a summer camp, and I was the instructor on the archery field. And one of the staff members came out, And they did not follow my directions. So I exercised my authority as the director of the program to bar them and say, you cannot shoot today. And they left, upset. And an old man by the name of Chilson came up put his arm around me. And he said, you know, you don't have to exercise your authority just because you have it. Wow. You don't have to be somebody. Jesus didn't call you here to be somebody. He called you here to serve. Not to rise up. But in my heart, I have many times through the years wanted to say, you can't treat me that way. Life, you can't treat me this way. It's wrong. I'm not going to submit to this. I'm going to go do what I have to do. I'm going to change this. No. I don't have to fight to be somebody. I'm called to humble my heart. To not speak words of judgment, bitterness, and anger against anybody for any reason. But to submit myself to Jesus. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not with demands and anger. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And I finally have begun to understand that this is not about what I'm to accomplish, this is about what God wants to make me into. I'm being shaped in the fire you're being shaped in fire. And I don't want to rise up in pride and arrogance and rebel against that. I want to submit to Jesus in whatever he chooses and to obey him and to do what he's called me to do. But then we come to his concern. Verse 17 but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So don't call me and commiserate with me on how tough things are. Call me and say, what's the best part of your day? What's God doing for you? Changes everything. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. I want you to see that even though he is suffering in prison, his heart. How can I send Timothy to you to take care of you? Because I can't come. But I care about you. Verse 20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Wait a minute. He's saying, the one person that cares about me, I'm sending to you because he cares about you. He's in prison, suffering, suffering, and the one person who's there taking care of him, I'm sending him to you. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now I had to stop on that passage. And I had to begin asking the question, what are the interests of Jesus Christ. What are the interests of Jesus Christ? And have we aligned ourselves with those interests as our top priority? And I want to tell you right up front, I'm not going to go to the scriptures. You can go to them. Ephesians, the first chapter, is a beautiful example the first interest of Jesus is the church. And your first interest needs to become, if it is not, the church. First interest. Else you are not concerned about the interests of Jesus. You're concerned about your own interests. Pastor, I can't survive if I don't... I think he just said, Jesus did not cling to equality with God. So if the first interest is church and we're a church... If, if, our, if this is the church, if we're the gathered of Christ, Christ has only local bodies, we're the church. If our interest is first and foremost the interest of Jesus, I can tell you for this church what it is. It's revival on Monday night. That's his first interest. I know that the church in America is in desperate, desperate shape. I know it's failing. We're given the privilege of one night to begin to bring revival to a church. I can't drive that far. I have to. I have to go to a party. I have to get ready for work. Um, pastor, it just won't work for me. No interest of Jesus, only self interest. Not alone, just attending, but pastor. What can I do to help take care of the people who are going to come? Pastor, can I, can I usher? Can I greet? Sandy's out there all by herself trying to greet. Why is she out there all by herself trying to greet? Where's the church? Where's the interest of Jesus? Jesus. The first interest of Jesus is the church. The life of the church. Today, before we leave, we're going to go around the circle, and everyone that wants to, please give your name and your phone number. And this week, I'm saying, would you please call someone and encourage them and pray with them in the church Would you build up the church? Would you care enough about the interests of Jesus to build up the church? Or are you only concerned about your own interests? Now, I'm not in any way trying to make small of your interests the interest of your family, the interest of your health, the interest of your life, the interest of your. Enjoyment. I wouldn't make light of that. We all have responsibilities. But the first interest of Jesus is not taking care of you. The first interest of Jesus is his church, building his church. The second interest of Jesus is reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus. Because hell's door is wide open, and many are being shoved in that door and are losing for eternity their life. I care about that. That's why I'm spending so much of my time and energy pouring out my heart on radio. Because the lost matter to me. It is the interest of Jesus that matters to me. Financially, where is your interest? Is your first interest that of Jesus, of the church and of the lost? Is that your interest? Is that what you care about? Some of you in this circle don't even pay a tithe of what you receive. Really? Why? What's your interest? Is your first interest the interest of Jesus? Now, please understand, if you're going to make the interest of Jesus your first interest, it's going to be the church, it's going to be the lost, and it's going to be the salvation of your family. Those are the interests of Jesus in order of priority. Those are the interests of Jesus. My personal priorities. Jesus. His body. My family. Me. Bottom of the list. To me, that's the biblical model. It's the biblical model. What about a woman whose husband is a pagan or is a non-believer? Should she put his interest ahead of the interests of Jesus? No. And some have had to face that. I had to face that. when it says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, he's not just speaking about platitudes. He's speaking about a basic inner guidance system. We are guided by our attitudes. My dad used to say to me, Raymond, I don't like your attitude. Oh, I hated that. And if my attitude didn't change, he would say, Raymond, this is your last chance. If you don't change your attitude, I'm going to change it with a razor strap. That changed my attitude. One way or the other. Our attitudes determine what we're going to do and where we're going to go and how we're going to be. He's saying your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. His attitude of humility where he humbles himself is listed here in the second chapter of Philippians. And then with grief, he says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I ask you today, Is your attitude the same as that of Jesus Christ? And if not, will you make the adjustment necessary to your attitude before God has to bring something much more radical into your life to change your attitude? Will you adjust your attitude so that you're on track and the church, the body of Christ, which is the first concern of Jesus, becomes your first concern? where the lost become a primary concern in your heart because it's the concern of Jesus. Now, it's up to every one of us how that works itself out. I can't tell you how it should work out in your life. But I can tell you now, it's not working for the National Prayer Chapel. And it hasn't. That's why we're in the place we're in. It has to change. And we're stepping in to another congregation that's in trouble. And we're trying to bring revival to that congregation. When we ourselves need revival, we have some individual revival. I'm talking about corporate revival, church revival. Else we'll die. This church will die will be gone. I don't want this church to be gone because God called for it. I'm laying my life down for it. I'm not going anywhere. And in the meantime, I'm going to focus on the will of God, on the interest of Jesus as my first priority. but it's going to take humility of heart. It's going to take adjustment of attitude for all of us. We spoke this last week, began to pray, Lord, could we have 100 sold out, committed, serious Christians who have as their hearts cry being one with Jesus. And all other interests are laid aside other than being one with Jesus and pouring out your life for the interest of Jesus, for his church and for the world. And for us specifically, it looks like revival. Will you pour out your heart and your life? Do everything without complaining or arguing, verse 14, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. See, We live in a crooked, wicked, depraved generation. And we've got to be different. We've got to look different. We've got to act different. Our priorities have to be different. We are the family of God. So first priority, the church. After Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the church. It's the lost. And then it's my family and how I need to take care of my family. And we're last. That's the biblical outline. Lord Jesus. Would you give to us the grace to humble our hearts? To repent for not having your interests first in our hearts? Would you give us, each one, the adjustment of attitude necessary that we would be like you, Jesus? I pray in your holy name. Amen. You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. right here at WAVA 780. Salvation is freedom from sin. Are you wise in the blood? Oh
2: glory to God glory to the living God I want to I need to be more like Jesus I want to I need to be more like Jesus I want to, I need to be more like Him. Sing it again to the Lord. I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. I want to, I need to be more like Him. Remember there's no greater love Down your life for a friend, for a friend.
0: Revival in Woodbridge.
1: Revival now. Church. Revival in Woodbridge.
2: Revival now. Church.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at NationalPrayerChapel.com or our sister website, Revival now. Church. We love you. God bless you.
2: Falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy to the only God our savior through Jesus Christ. Meet John and Jane. They're fifty five.